the fog of the broken heart. It's a dark fog that imprisons the soul and refuses easy escape. It's a silent mist that eclipses the sun and beckons the darkness. It's a heavy cloud that honors no hour and respects no person. Depression, discouragement, disappointment, doubt, all are companions of this dreaded presence. The fog of the broken heart disorients our life. It makes it hard to see the road. Dim your lights, wipe off the windshield, slow down, do whatever you wish, nothing helps. If you have ever been betrayed by a friend, you know what I mean. If you have ever been dumped by a spouse or abandoned by a parent, you have seen this fog. If you have ever placed a spade of dirt on a loved one's casket or kept vigil at a dear one's bedside, you too recognize this cloud. If you have ever been in this fog or are in it now, you can be sure of one thing, you are not alone. Like the comedian said, if broken hearts were commercials, we'd all be on TV. Think back over the last two or three months. How many broken hearts did you encounter? How many wounded spirits did you witness? My own reflection is sobering. The woman who lost her husband and son in a freak car wreck. The attractive mother of three who was abandoned by her husband. The child who was hit and killed by a passing garbage truck as he was getting off the school bus. His mother who was waiting for him witnessed the tragedy. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? Foggy tragedies. How they blind our vision and destroy our dreams. Forget any great hopes of reaching the world. Forget any plans of changing society. Forget any aspirations of moving mountains. Forget all that. Just help me make it through the night. The suffering of the broken heart. Go with me for a moment to witness what was perhaps the foggiest night in history. The scene is very simple. You'll recognize it quickly. A grove of twisted olive trees. Ground cluttered with large rocks. A low stone fence. A dark, dark night. Now look into the picture. Look closely through the shadowy foliage. See that person? See that solitary figure? What's he doing? Flat on the ground, face stained with dirt and tears, fists pounding the hard earth, eyes wide with stupor of fear, hair matted with salty sweat. Is that blood on his forehead? That's Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you've witnessed the classic portrait of Christ in the garden, kneeling beside a big rock, snow-white robe, hands peacefully folded in prayer, a look of serenity on his face, halo over his head, a spotlight from heaven illuminating his golden brown hair. Now, I'm no artist, but I can tell you one thing. The man who painted that picture didn't use the Gospels as a pattern. Listen to these phrases from the Gospel. Horror and dismay came over him. My heart is ready to break with grief. He went a little forward and threw himself to the ground. Does this look like a picture of a saintly Jesus resting in the palm of God? Hardly. We see an agonizing, straining, and struggling Jesus. We see a man struggling with fear, wrestling with commitments, and yearning for relief. We see Jesus in the fog of a broken heart. The writer of Hebrews would later pen, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, 
He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. My, what a portrait. Jesus is in pain. Jesus is on the stage of fear. Jesus is cloaked, not in sainthood, but in humanity. The next time the fog finds you, you might do well to remember Jesus in the garden. The next time your self-pity convinces you that no one cares, pay a visit to Gethsemane. And the next time you wonder if God really perceives the pain that prevails on this dusty planet, listen to Him pleading among the twisted trees. Here's my point. Seeing God like this does wonders for our own suffering. God was never more human than at this hour. God was never nearer to us than when He hurt. The Incarnation was never so fulfilled as in the garden. As a result, time spent in the fog of pain could be God's greatest gift. It could be the hour that we finally see our Maker. The next time you are called to suffer, pay attention. It may be the closest you'll ever get to God. Watch closely. It could very well be that the hand that extends itself to lead you out of the fog is a pierced one. I love that picture from Max Licato's writing, The Fog of a Broken Heart. Because the truth is, we'll join Jesus there. All of us have been there, or we will be there. Where It's those nights where life comes crushing down on you and you, you can't sleep. Or, or you get to sleep and you can't stay asleep. Or you, you wake up and, and you just want to pull the covers over your head and not move. Or like I wanted in my fog was just get in the car and just drive. Or you might even have come to such a despair where you just honestly wanted to end it all. I say to you today that I think fog is an accurate description. Because when, you, when you're in the fog... You can't see beyond it. You feel trapped. You, you, you feel like it's never going to go away. And, and you lose all orientation of life. They say pilots who, 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 who make the mistake of flying in terrible fog can, can lose such orientation that they don't trust the instruments in front of them. And like John F. Kennedy Jr., they end up flying the plane upside down and crashing because nothing seems right. You've been there. We've been there. The good news this morning is that Jesus has been there. I mean, we were in Panama City yesterday and going through neighborhoods and talking to people, and, and I saw this look of despair on people's faces. I mean, it's, it's two and a half weeks after the hurricane, and the place is a disaster area. They're just starting to get power back, and the trees are piled up on the, on the streets, and it, it, you, you couldn't go there and think, when will this ever be over? When will they ever work themselves back to more normality? And, and you see it on the face of, of, of despair. But here's the good news in this message today. Normally we share the good news at the end of the message, but I want, I want you to get it before we get into there. Here's the two points. Jesus understands. Because of this night that we're going to visit today, Jesus understands. Like Hebrews says, he's a high priest who understands our weaknesses. You, you, you can't go to Jesus and him shake his head and say, I don't get it. You know, sometimes maybe you've got a problem and you want to share it with somebody. 
And you're searching for someone and you go, you know, that person's life is so together, they could never understand how down I am. You will never get that out of Jesus. And not only does he understand, even beyond that, he can help you. Because he went through this night, he understands what you've been through, he's the one that can help you. You see, the person who helps you is the person who understands where you are. I mean, if you're addicted to drug, it's the former drug addict. If you're the alcoholic, it's the former alcoholic. If you're struggling with depression, it's the person who's been through depression. It's the person who's been there, who's been through divorce, and who can now help you. And so Jesus can help because, like the writer of Hebrews says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this morning, we want to make a return visit to that that dark, foggy night. And just maybe through this, God can help lift the fog in your life. Go with me to Luke chapter 22. Let's start reading verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, Abba, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Man, what a story. What a picture. And guys, the, the Bible is a book of, of pictures. And this morning, I want you to, to get five pictures of Jesus' suffering that allow you to know that he's there when you suffer. Picture number one is what we see here is a lonely, lonely garden. I mean, Jesus comes to this garden. You can tell this is a place he frequents. Remember Judas trying to betray Jesus? He knew the place to go, and it was this garden. Because we know that during the day, Jesus was going to Jerusalem and perform miracles and teach and turn over tables in the temple, and then they would escape out to a rich man's garden, more than likely, in the Mount of Olives. Now, what's, what's worse about this is that not only is Jesus hurting, but he's lonely. I mean, if you read the other Gospels, the disciples cannot even fall asleep. Jesus wakes them up three times, and they still don't stay with him. It's quite a place. Stephanie and I visited it last, last May. And um, let me sort of show you the picture. There's a picture where, where, that we took. Uh, above this, you can barely see the, the tombs. There are tombs going up the Mount of Olives. On top is the Mount of Olives. You're coming down, and then there's the Church of All Nations right beside this garden. In, in the garden is what's called the, the Rock of Agony. And just below it is the, the Kidron Valley. And then on a hill right across from it is Jerusalem. And so as we stood there, it was no leap of faith to picture what had happened. You see, you have all those tombs up there. You know why those tombs are there? Because Christians want to be buried there because they believe that that's where Jesus will return and they want to be the first to get on the bus, right? 
But then you got this, this twisted olive trees. Olive, the olive tree literally means pressed. And you can see Jesus there in the dirt. You know, grass doesn't grow there. You can see that picture from Mark of, of Jesus beating on the dirt. And, and then if you look over to Jerusalem and you see the streets coming down in Jerusalem, no question Jesus could see the torchlight of the soldiers coming down that hill for his arrest. It was a lonely, lonely place. And Jesus went to that garden. You see, the first Adam rebelled in a garden, and sin and death entered the world. The second Adam, Jesus, submits in a garden, and salvation and life come to us. You've got to see that picture. Number two, there's a costly cup. You, uh, listen to the words of Jesus. Take this cup away from me. There's amazing significance in Scripture. Rob McFarlane will lead us in thoughts about that around the table in a moment. But, but what Jesus is anticipating, what Jesus doesn't want to drink of the cup, is that the cup recognizes the agony he's about to go through. Now, we watch movies, and, and we think it's simply about the, the physical agony, and certainly that was awful when you watch that passion of Christ and see Jesus back beaten and him carry the beams of that cross and him be crucified. But my friends, I, I don't think that was the greatest agony Jesus was w- worried about. He was worried about the emotional agony. I mean, he's going to be rejected by all the people who are supposed to love him. He's going to be spat upon by his own creation. And then there's the spiritual agony. And that was the worst. You see, the cup representing all of our sins being placed on Jesus, and for Jesus to drink this cup was to drink God's complete wrath. And Jesus dreads that awful moment. He dreads that his Father will separate himself from him. And not only will the disciples not stand beside him, but the Father, too, will flee because he can't be with Jesus in the sin Now, how terrible was it? Only Dr. Luke tells us this. That makes sense because he understood it. That Jesus' sweat would become like drops of blood. Doctors tell us there there is a rare physical phenomena when someone is under so much stress that the capillaries in their forehead burst and blood drops on the ground. That's our Jesus. And only Dr. Luke will mention that an angel came to minister to Jesus. I love that picture. I like what George Morrison said about that. Every life has its Gethsemane. Either you've been to Gethsemane, you're in Gethsemane, or you will be to Gethsemane. Every life has its Gethsemane, and every Gethsemane has its angels. Luke loves angels. And they're not there just for Jesus. They're there for us. And then we watch the story continue. Look at what happens in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, we've got to be reminded of this, he's one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen. They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. 
Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple, and the, and the elders who came to him, am I leading a rebellion? That you had to come to me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the, the temple courts, and, and you did not lay a hand on me. You saw me. But let me just label this thing correctly. This is your hour when darkness reigns. What do you see? A couple more pictures. We see a, an awful hypocritical kiss. You know, it was customary for a disciple to greet their teacher with a kiss. That was not unusual. But what was awful is that G- Judas uses this kiss to indicate his betrayal of Jesus. They want to make sure they get the right man. And so Judas has told them, I can lead you to the right place. Here's where he hangs out. And when I get there, I'm going to kiss him. It's bad enough for your friends to run. It's bad enough for a friend to betray you. And it's even worse for a friend to betray you with a kiss. The very creator God who formed Judas's lips is betrayed by those lips. Can you imagine the hurt? If you've ever been rejected by a spouse or a close friend or from your job, Maybe by somebody you really thought had your best interest in mind, you understand the sting of betrayal. This was the worst. And then we also see another picture, number four, is this, this useless sword. Now, it, it's interesting to me that Luke does not tell us who used the sword, but we know because John, Peter's best friend, told on him. <laughs> I think we'd probably guessed it was Peter. And the the weird thing about it is they ask this question, Lord, should we use our swords? And before Jesus can even answer, Peter goes ahead and whacks this guy's ear off. Now, guys, do you think Peter really is going for the ear? Ain't no way. He's going for the head, all right? And, And more than likely what happened is when the sword came out, Malchus, we find out that's his name in the other Gospels, leans over to, to try to miss the sword until the sword comes out and clips off, the Bible's so specific here, his right ear. And what's got to be so frustrating for our Lord is they still don't get it. They still think they need to, they need to rise up in a rebellion and establish this earthly kingdom. After all that's been going on, they're still so ignorant You see, our friend Peter is sleeping when he should have been praying. He's talking when he should have been listening. He's boasting when he should have been humble. And he's fighting when he should have surrendered. And what really, God always puts these crazy cool points. What's really cool to me is the last miracle Jesus performs on earth is to restore this, the the ear of, of this man who has come to arrest Jesus. We we, we used to sing a song, he could have called 10,000 angels, and he could have. I mean, he could have done something spectacular. He could have blasted things. But Jesus chooses, even in this moment, to care about the ear of a servant. 
There's even grace in this story. And then we get to the end of the story where Peter disowns Jesus. And we get to this crowing rooster. Now, if you read the Gospels closely, you will see, if you put it all together, Jesus goes through about six trials. Three of them are Jewish trials. Three of them are Roman trials. You see, the issue here is that Romans had taken away from the Jewish government the ability to perform capital punishment. And they want to kill Jesus. So they, they kiss up to their greatest enemies, the Romans. And, and the story we see unfolding in Luke 22 is more than likely during the second trial in front of Caiaphas, the high priest. And, and Jesus is on trial. And here's Peter. I mean, we saw some guts here just a moment ago. But now he's lost his backbone. And he's following Jesus, and he's, he's wanting to hear what's going on. And so it's a cold night. Jerusalem gets really cold at night. And, and he's trying to warm himself by fire and yet listen to what's going on with his Lord. And a little servant girl comes up to him and says, uh, you're one of those Jesus people. And, and, and Peter says, you're so wrong, I don't even know this guy. And then another person came up and, and said, uh, this, Peter, we saw you with him. And Peter says, I, I, man, I'm not. I'm not one of his followers. And then another fellow that Matthew says, I've never figured this out till this week, was a relative of Malchus, the guy that Peter cut his ear off, Malchus's cousin, says, dude, I know you. And Peter curses and denies that he knows Jesus, and then the rooster crows. Listen to what happens. Look at verse 61. Right after the rooster crowed, this is so riveting, only Luke tells us this, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. He just did it. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? My goodness, man, I've given three and a half years of my life. I'm about to give my life for your life. And you can't even admit that you know me? You won't stand beside me after I put up with all of your foolishness? I can only imagine how Jesus felt. I don't have to imagine how Peter felt. The next verse tells us, And Peter went outside, and he wept bitterly. It was that look, it was that face-to-face, it was that stare from Jesus that broke him down. Because not only does Peter see Jesus in that moment, Peter also sees himself, and he doesn't like what he sees. It's like the Bible says about all of us, the truth is there's nothing good in us. Now, I don't know of anything more jarring than to listen to the uncontrollable cry of a grown man. And yet that's what happens with Peter. Man, what a, what a picture. Because in every picture, there's, there's always some hope. And so this morning, I want you to see that on this dark, foggy night, there was some hope. And this week that I studied, I found it in the most unlikely of places. It's actually in this crowing rooster. You say, come on, buddy. How does the rooster, man, give us hope? Let me tell you three reasons, three things that stood out in this picture. Number one, this 
crowing rooster said, Jesus is still in control. You see, Jesus had predicted it a few hours before. Hey, guys, this is exactly what I've got planned. And Peter, you know what? You're fitting in the plan. You're going to die me three times, and the rooster's going to crow. And so in this scene where it appears that everything's out of control, where it certainly doesn't look like Jesus is in control, in this dark hour when it appears on surface that Satan is in control, I never can get over that scene in the movie The Passion of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where that snake slithers right by Jesus. Satan must be so happy. Satan has got Jesus exactly where he wants. The man that was to come to save the world is about to be killed, and he's helpless, and he's friendless. But the rooster crowing says, no, 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 you got it wrong, Satan. Jesus is still in control. He knows exactly what's going on, and this is in God's plan. Oh, Jesus begged for it to go in a different way, but God says no. Jesus prays. Please take the cup away, but he also prays probably the most powerful prayer in all the Bible. Not my will, but your will be done. He's in control. And then number two, man, the the good news here, the grace here is that Peter can be forgiven. Jesus had taken the time a few hours before this to say, Peter, I know you're going to blow it despite the fact you're too arrogant to see it. But when you blow it, you're coming back to me. And, And what happens? Not only does Peter come back, But Peter is the most effective preacher of the good news of Jesus in history. And then here's a cool, cool point. That crowing rooster tells me a new day is dawning. What does a rooster's crow mean? It means there's a new day. And guys, for Jesus, I'm telling you, after Gethsemane, we'll watch him. He never flinches. And and for you and I, And for Peter, this crowing rooster says, you know what, this is an awful, dark, foggy moment, but it's not the end of the story. The sun will rise, and the sun will rise. And there's a new day coming. So, what do you do on a dark, foggy night? What do you learn from this crazy story? I'll tell you what I learned. When the fog envelops you and the depression overtakes you and you despair even, you know what I said about Jesus? He despaired to the point of death. When you feel that, here's what you do. You pray. You pray the prayer of Jesus. It doesn't have to be a complicated prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It's the most simple and powerful prayer in all the Bible. Father, please Please remove this cup, but your will, not my will, be done. And here's the promise of this story. Either our Father will take you out of your suffering, or he will do what he did for Jesus. He will give you the strength to face your suffering. And say, okay, buddy, how can I know that? Some of you in a fog right now. How can I know that? My friends, you know that because the pictures we've just seen. He has been there. He understands, and he can help. You see, I thank God that the picture we've shown today 
is not the picture that I cherish from my grandmother's house. Here's that picture of Jesus. This was always over my grandmother's piano. My grandmother's name was Granny Grace, and she was the best. She was so much fun. We ate what we wanted to eat. We did what we wanted to do. We went riding every night down the country roads of Crenshaw County. But above her piano was this picture. And it's the thing I wanted most from her house because it reminded me of sitting there about that piano while she played and while she sang. But here's what I want you to know. This is an inaccurate picture. This picture is too pristine. It's too perfect. Jesus looks too in control. This is not what the Bible tells us, thank God. The Bible says this is not the picture. He's not glowing with the the moonlight. He's not gently folding his hands. He is on the dirt, beating the ground in despair. That's the picture. And guys, I, I, I don't know about you, but I get pretty messed up. I get, my head gets wrapped around the axle, you know. I need this picture. Because this picture from my grandmother's house, I can't relate to that picture. It, it's too perfect for me to approach that kind of Jesus. And that's why I think this story's here, because I don't ha- care how down you are. He is there for you. And he's not going to shake his head and go, I'm sorry, you know. I know you're down. I know you're struggling. But I just don't get it, man. I just don't get it. I mean, I'd like to help you, but I mean, I'm, no, no, no. He understands, and he promises, I will come to your aid. Because here's our problem. is when you feel down, here's what most of us do. We isolate ourselves from God. We isolate ourselves from church. Some of you woke up this morning, and you didn't want to come because you're so down. But you showed up, thank God. And I promise you, I really believe this, because I hear this all the time, you're going to feel better because you came. But the natural reaction for any of us that are depressed and down is, is, is I want to withdraw from anybody being around me. I had a friend a few weeks ago that really went through a downtime. And, um, you know, he, he just sat around the couch all weekend just sulking, told me I didn't say five words to my wife, didn't play with my children. Something had happened. And so I find out the next week, and, and quite frank, I was a little bit angry. I was like, man, I understand what you went through. My reaction would have been the same. Why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you pick your phone up and say, I heard this and it's thrown me off. You didn't have to go through it alone. And my friends, I think what Jesus would say to us this morning that are hurting, that are suffering, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you tell me? Why are you keeping to yourself when I understand you're not going to come to me and get that head that goes, I don't get it. You're going to come to me, and I'm going to, I'm going to have compassion, and I'm going to help you. So we're going to give you a chance this morning. I want to ask all the elders and their spouses, all the uh, ministers and their spouses to do what we do quite often, to come and surround this stage. And, and while we're singing, you don't have to come right on a card. You don't have to say it in front of everybody. You just come to one of us. We don't have to pray some long, complicated prayer. You don't have to give a long description. All you can use is this word that I love. I'm, I'm, I'm in a fog right now, and I don't see out of it. But I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to talk to my Father, and he's going to meet me in the fog. 
And he's going to either take me out of it or he's going to give me the strength to make it through it. You see, I know right now you are tempted just to sit there and to keep isolated. But that's the wrong thing to do. And I think Jesus might just say to you, why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you get up and at least let some godly people pray over you? So today, if you, you're in that fog, please let us pray over you. Today, if you are so enamored like I am right now with this amazing Jesus and this picture we've seen, that you've just got to follow him. Meet me on this front row, and you can be baptized before you get out of here today. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.